Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. and such, but I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. So we're just going to share just a few stories, just take about 10 minutes or so and share some of the things that the Lord uh, did in prison. If anybody's connected on Facebook, you may know uh, 80 people went down in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, baptized. With 15 receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and six of those, that's when as they came out of the water, they were speaking in other tongues. Amen. And 42 others that had some connection in their past with the Holy Ghost, uh, 42 others uh, raised their hand about being renewed in that spirit that they had been acquainted with years ago. And so we're thankful for what uh, the Lord has done. I'm going to ask my wife to come and share just a few stories tonight of the prison. We, we had two teams, actually, that went in simultaneously. And so, we, of course, we could not intermingle with one another. We had different set of inmates than what they had. And so there were two teams acting acting both days Friday and Saturday at the same time and uh, that what I just told you is is a grouping of what happened from both sides and such but so I can't tell their their team B they were team B we were team A we gave each other a hard time about that we called ourselves the A team and we called them junior junior varsity and had all this stuff going on uh, but nonetheless we were all working for the kingdom of the Lord but that's a conglomeration so we can tell our side of the story amen I'm going to have my wife come just share a few stories tonight before we go to the ministry of God's word so just give your undivided attention may this help just build someone's faith tonight amen well it's so exciting to go back I mean y'all know that prison ministry is one of my passions and so our first conference back in the prison um, I had a first time ever too I think this is our 16th prison conference that we've been a part of and typically we don't go back into a prison in a state that we've already been to kind of we so we kind of go in set the stage bring in the local ministers and they kind of keep it going but when they opened it up for baptism like yeah we're going back we're going back and um I t and I actually sister Reinhardt had asked me to speak this time I've never spoken the prison before but um I got to speak and I told them I said I know when you all were sentenced and told you're going to prison not one of you got excited I said, but I'm telling you, when I get in my car or I get on that plane, when I'm coming to see you in prison, I get excited. So it was just such a great experience. Um, we had a lot of, we had about 150 in our group. The other group had about 80 in theirs. We had the, they had a lot of the lifers in there, in their group, and we had a lot of the, some of the young offenders, um, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 people that have been um, convicted as young adults, and they actually had to be somewhat segregated into the balcony. They couldn't mix with some of the general other ladies that were in there. Um, the enemy did fight us. I mean, we were going to get to baptize in Jesus' name. It was just a given, right, um, leading up to it, but also just... Um, you know, there's different atmospheres and cultures in different prisons that we go into. And I, and, and I say things guardedly because we are online, um, so you guys understand that. But there are different cultures and different places we go. And some people that work in the prisons, that they view it as a ministry. And some people are burnt out, and it's their job, or they take advantage of their role. And uh, so some of the women in the prison, we speak to a lot of things regarding abuse, addiction, all those things. And 
if you would survey the room, and we asked them, they, we asked them to raise their hand, um, one of the ladies that spoke, and I would say 80 to 90% of the women raised their hand when they were asked if they'd either been molested, sexually abused, or physically abused in their lifetime. And so, so many of these women had been victimized through their life, and they get so mentally just full of anguish and turmoil and trauma. They turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol, they turn to prostitution. They start making bad choices that lands them then in the prison. And so, um, depending on the culture of the prison, if they end up in a place where they have officers or people that are very um, rigid and um, there are people that work that feel like they're there to pay their debt to society and they deserve no good things. So they resent us coming in and ministering to them. They don't like it. So we had several, t several instances in this, in this one where, I mean, they were supposed to be there at a certain time and they wouldn't release them from their pods. And we, they were getting there an hour later, an hour and a half later. Um, we just didn't know. And then we were told we weren't going to have a second session on Saturday, so we had to move the baptisms to the other. I mean, y'all, it was just crazy. But I'm telling you, God was at work through it all. Through the whole thing, his will was accomplished. In those times that were delayed and some of the other inmates coming in, there were some sitting in there waiting. Uh, my husband, I hope he tells you a little bit about ministering to Marquette. I mean, he, this lady believed Jesus was a prophet and nothing else. And by the time they got through with their 30-minute conversation, I mean, through their conversation, it was awesome. I, don't, I won't take his story. Um, but women that came forward for prayer, my first instance in praying with some of the women, I had two ladies come up, Tamika and Marissa, and uh, begin to pray. Tamika was very broken, very defeated. And uh, a lot of times we don't, you know, you just don't ask. Sometimes you ask what they need prayer for, but sometimes the Holy Ghost just moves and you just know what to pray you know and I moved from Tamika to Marissa and as soon as I laid my hand on her head I just felt to pray against a spirit of fear and I was just like God you know take away this you know bind the fear the doubt and she just began to bawl and just to weep uncontrollably and so we began to pray the spirit of God was there and after we prayed and everything she said I've been in prison several years she was young she's probably in her young 20s she goes I go home in 23 days and I'm scared to death because so many times they're so afraid because they're going back to the exact same environment that put them in there and they don't know what to do how am I going to go back to my family that's addicted how am I going to go back to my neighborhood where everything around me is what put me here in the first place I don't know how to go back and survive and not come back here so many of the girls was telling us there's some that's been in there since it was 17, 18 years old. And they're like, this is all I've ever known. Prison is all I've ever known. So it almost becomes a safe place for them, you know. And so they're like, I don't know how to go out there. And they're like, the world's changed so much. How do I go out there and live? How do I survive? How do I do right? You know, the people I need. And one of the girls, she was like, I just need new friends. I need new friends. And so... We had several get the Holy Ghost. Um, one that sticks out in my mind, Lisa. She's 57 years old. First time ever in prison. She's been there 18 months. And she signed up to get baptized. Now, you all know, Pastor and I, well enough to know that we're not baptizing somebody who hasn't repented. So we made sure these women understood repentance, baptism. You don't bury someone that's alive. They got to, you know, die out. So, you know, we did all that. And she had signed up for baptism. But she got to not feeling well. She's, you know, um, on Friday night. Well, they had additional sign-ups for baptism Friday night. Well, she got wind of that, and she was afraid they had changed 
the whole setup for baptism. She came in there as soon as she could get through those doors Saturday morning. She's like, did I miss it? Did I miss it? Am I on the list? Can I get baptized? I want to get baptized. I want to be baptized. I went and looked. I came back. I said, you're on the list, Lisa. Well, Saturday, Lisa got the Holy Ghost. Saturday, 57-year-old Lisa came up out of the water saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. She got up and began to tell her story. We got to hear some testimonies from the prisoners. And she's never been in trouble her whole life. But what landed her there, she was babysitting her one-and-a-half-year-old grandson. And while he was in her care, he drowned. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what she was doing. I don't know what caused it. She didn't say. But that's why she's in there for five to eight years serving. We've got girls in there that are 22. They've been in there since one girl been in there since she was 17. Uh, because she had a hit-and-run accident with a motorcyclist, and she went home and uh, put her in prison. We had another girl. She's actually the chaplain's clerk, and she was awesome. She had a great personality, um, just happy to help, do whatever she could. And this is really neat. First of all, let me tell you how she ended up there, because she shared it. We don't ask. We don't ask, but if they share, we're able to talk about it. And they knew we were going to take their stories back and share um, but her name was Amber, and Amber, another girl that hadn't really been in trouble at all much in her life, but she had a, gotten into a disagreement with her mom, and they hadn't spoken in five years. They just, they were on the outs, and they didn't speak, and one day, she just felt like, I need to reach out to my mom, and she texted her, and she goes, Mom, I don't want to talk about the past. I don't want to argue about what we argued about. I just need you. You're my mom, and I need you. And I want to have a relationship with you. And she said, immediately, I got a text back. And her mom said, Amber, I'm so sorry. I should have been the one to reach out to you. I'm your mom. And said, I want a relationship with you, too. Let's go to lunch. And Amber said, OK, my treat. Where do you want to go? She goes, well, you know, my favorite is Longhorn. She goes, OK. So they made a time to meet there. Well, I don't know what all was going on in Amber's life at that time. But she got under the influence of something. And she had a DUI because she hit another car and killed three people on her way to see her mom. And she has a 50-year sentence. And she's in there, and she said, you know, she said, I'm in here. I see my mom once a month. We have a closer relationship than we've ever had. And just these stories, they just rip your heart out, rip your heart out. You hear them. You hear about this other lady. She's in there. She was in an abusive relationship. She had had abuse in her past. It triggered her. The guy was choking her and she sunk a knife into him and she's in prison. I mean, there are just story after story after story of these women. Another story that was kind of neat, there was this girl and her name was Jada and uh, she began to talk about her story and uh, she was incarcerated when her daughter was six months old. She'd been in there 14 years now. And in 2019, she began to pray because you all know that Homosexuality is very prevalent in prison, especially, you know, what, it doesn't matter if women or men. It's very prevalent in the prisons, and it's very difficult not to get caught up in that lifestyle when you're there. And in 2019, she prayed, and she says, God, I don't want to live like this. She said, God, I'm going to leave this lifestyle. She's still in prison. She ain't going nowhere, but she's going to leave the lifestyle. And she said, God, if I leave this lifestyle, will you bring my children back to me? Will you bring them back home was her words. And two weeks ago, she got a letter from her daughter, said, Mom, I love you. 
and I want a relationship with you. And God honored her prayer and her request for that. Marissa got up and began to tell her story, too. She's the one I prayed for about the fear. And she said something so profound. She said, she told the girl, she goes, don't be afraid to tell your story. She said, because your story can be someone else's survival guide. And that can be applicable for any of us in this room. Don't be afraid to share your story or your testimony. Because that can be someone else's survival guide to get through. I'm telling you, those girls were so passionate. Another girl, she said, you know, she said, I didn't, God didn't give me away. I gave God away. She said, he never left me. He never turned his back on me, but I turned my back on him. And then we had another lady, and I don't remember what her name was. I think it was Rosa. But she was, I don't know if she's Jamaican or, but she, it was very heavy accent, but she I'm telling you what, God filled that woman with the Holy Ghost. And one of the young girls that was with us in there, because Rosa could speak Spanish, and she said she was worshiping God in Spanish. She goes, but it wasn't long. She was speaking, and it wasn't Spanish, but she was still praying. And said she began to speak in tongues, and that she got baptized. And I'm telling you what, that woman danced. (laughs) She danced in the spirit. But she got up and began to tell her story. She said, and I think in her culture, I don't know where she was from, where she was, but She said, God wanted me to pastor. God wanted me to minister. God wanted me. And she says, he kept calling me to that. She goes, I kept saying, God, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want that hurt that goes with being a pastor. Please don't ask me to do that. I don't want that job. I don't want that. And she said, I turned away from the will of God, and that's why I'm in here. And I'm just like, there for the grace of God go any one of us in this room. It's just to see those girls speak in tongues, to see those girls just, you know, and we're stepping away, but they're being left with something eternal, a value, you know, and so many of them that finally have something that no one can take from them. That to them is huge. But for them, the, the wall, the barrier you have to break through is you all know that in order to receive the Holy Ghost, you have to surrender. completely surrendered. Surrender your body, your tongue, letting God speak through you. But these girls, every time they have surrendered or been vulnerable or opened themselves up, they've got hurt. So they keep the walls up. They keep the guard up. I can't can't break those walls down. I can't. And so we talked about the power that comes with the Holy Ghost. And, you know, in our generation, in our world, to get power, you got to be aggressive. You go after it. You grab it. But to get the concept through that in God, he doesn't do it like man does. To get the true power of the Holy Ghost, we have to surrender. People that surrender in battle don't walk away with the power. But in God, we do. And so to understand that if I surrender completely to him, then I have power. And so God worked on those girls. He began to heal them. He began to peel back the layers. And you all know, like, we can't record anything we can't take no pictures I I tell you what was probably one of the most awesome things I got to help baptize Paul and I got to do it together and we both one on each side just took those girls and we do that with purpose because many of those girls have been touched by a man inappropriately or aggressively or violently so we always do things as a team you know and so that was amazing and I mean we walked out of there and Pastor Chester, they're like, man, we got to get these women involved in baptisms back in our own church, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. I loved it. It was awesome. You know, it was great to get to baptize. That was so awesome. 
But God really moved. Those girls were encouraging one to another. And uh, the chaplain was like, I need you guys back sooner than later. This was awesome. And so we just, God really moved. And I'm thankful. And I think I've probably talked 10 minutes. So I'll give that back to Paul. But y'all know there's more, so many stories. We just can't tell them all. But uh, it was awesome. Thank you guys for handling everything back here, for being faithful today, for coming to church, for everyone that helped make it possible that we could go and, and do ministry. And yes, I know I'm exhausted, but it was so worth it. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Amen. I'll just tell my one story and then we'll get into the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I was just, you don't really have time to process everything that goes on uh, in the moment or necessarily at night either because you're ready to eat and, you know, share a few stories with one another and try to get to bed. Uh, yeah, it's, we don't have no air conditioning. I had light gray pants on after I got done preaching. It was all over dark gray. And uh, But uh, anyway, I was on the plane this morning, probably about the first 30 or 35 minutes, and I just had some earbuds in and music going, and my mind was uh, rehearsing everything going on in the prison, and I just started crying on that plane. Probably made the guy next to me nervous. He probably thought this guy's having a panic attack or something. I don't know. But I just started crying on that plane because I began to rehearse that that 35 to 40 minute conversation I had with a lady by the name of Marquette. And Marquette was there on our second day, uh, the day that we did baptisms. And she and her friend it was just really an allowance that was given to them to be there because uh, they cook uh, for the prisoners. And they get up at 1.30 in the morning, Monday through Friday, to start cooking for the mess hall. And uh, their shift would not have been over by the time our session started, but they were allowed some allowance to leave early. And so Marquette was there, and we had some other young girls in our group from Ohio. Uh, both of them are around the age of 19, and they hollered and said, Pastor McGee, this lady has some questions. And uh, by the way, those two girls are just excellent. Those young girls, I, I always tell Mariah, she says, I'm going to go with you, Dad. I said, honey, as soon as you get age to be able to go, you, you Anytime we can take our children with us in ministry, we're going to take her to prison, nonetheless. So, uh, but, so I went down there, and so this lady had two questions. First one was quite peculiar. Uh, she wanted to know why in the picture of the Last Supper that Peter had a sword in his hand uh, of, of the, that, that Leonardo da Vinci had, had painted. And so I attempted to answer that question. And then she said, now, you, your Bible, those first five books of the Bible, the, the Torah, she said, uh, were there any prophecies in that uh, about, about Jesus the prophet? And so my, 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 there's a little instance in there whenever someone is specifically calling Jesus a prophet, that it's me. <clears throat> and so I started talking a little bit, and her friend next to her then says, well, see, Marquette, she says, she's a Muslim. She says, I don't believe she said Jesus was God. She says, but Jesus was our prophet. And so using the wisdom of God of starting and finding that thread of commonality where people are rather than coming out being offensive right away, I said, well, I believe Jesus was a prophet, too. I said, the Samaritan woman even said that she perceived him to be a prophet. I believe Jesus is a prophet, too. I said, but I believe he was so much more than a prophet. She says, well, I don't, I don't believe that Jesus was God. I said, well, whenever the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary, I said, what happened there? She said, well, I just believe that God was just like Mary B. And then, you know, Jesus was formed in the womb. I said, well, could you agree with me enough to say then 
that God had some type of responsibility for your, pro- I always went back to this folks, you don't know how many times I hit this down there, for your prophet Jesus to be formed in the womb of Mary, because Mary was a virgin, right? Yeah, yeah, he was a Mary. So we could agree that he had some responsibility for this, this child Jesus in the womb. She said, yeah, I guess I could say that. I said, well, in reality, I said, that's how Jesus is the son of God. I said, but being in the womb of Mary, that's how he's the son of man. I said, Marquette, I said, do you have any traits of your daddy in you? Do you have anything in your life that's similar to you? Do you have your daddy's earlobes and your mama's nose? And you all know you've heard me say this, guys, a thousand times. But I'm talking to a Muslim right now. She says, yeah. I said, well, Jesus on his mother's side slept on the boat. I said, but on his father's side, he calmed the storm. I said, on his mother's side, he hungered and thirst. I said, but on his father's side, he made the lame walk and the dead raise. She's like, oh. I said, now, you started talking about, is there any prophecies? Because I'm going to use what she knows, right? That's a good thing anytime you start with what they know. You say, want to know if there's any prophecies in the Old Testament? I said, right in the book of Genesis, we have one of the first prophecies. I said, in Genesis 3, whenever the curse of Adam and Eve and the serpent, I said, and the Bible says that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. She says, is that Mary's child? I said, yes, ma'am. That's talking about Mary's child. I said, and all that bruising took place on Mount Calvary. I said, there's another prophet, since she's on this prophet kick. I said, there's another prophet, Isaiah. I said, in Isaiah 35, I said, it talks in there about God. Because she, she informed me, she says, I only believe in one God. I said, I only believe in one God. She said, and I said, it speaks in Isaiah that they would know that their God, their Savior had come. And when he comes, then blind eyes would be open and the lame would leap. I said, did your prophet Jesus ever do anything like that in the New Testament? She says, yeah, he opened blind eyes. Yeah, he made the." I said, well, the prophet Isaiah said that's how they would know that their God and their Savior come. I said, Marquette, I said, your prophet Jesus is your Savior. She was like, oh. She grabbed the piece. She's like, oh. She says, well, why did all those people then have so much problems with our prophet Jesus? Why did they not want to accept him? I said, because they had the same problem you're having right now. Reconciling that their God took on a body in the form of a man to become their redeemer. They thought he was an imposter. Because they thought he was someone trying to take their God's place when he was just a God that came down to try to take their place. My God. I I said, I mean, this is a conversation that's going on and on. She's writing down the scriptures, I'm telling her, as we're going. I say, Marquette, I said, do you know anything about the story of Ruth? Yeah, I know about the story of Ruth. I said, and Boaz and all that? She says, yeah. I said, and the kinsman redeemer that Boaz was? She said, yes. So I gave her the three things. I said, there's three things that qualify for a redeemer, kinsman redeemer. I said, he has to be a part of the family. I said, he has to be uh, willing to pay the price. And he has to be able to pay the price. I said, but your prophet Jesus, your God, that came down in the form of a man. He did that so he could be the redeemer because he became a part of the human family 
which satisfied qualification number one. I said, and the Bible says that he purchased the church with his own blood, which he wouldn't have because you're God's spirit. Yes, sir. You're God's spirit. But whenever he came in the form of a man, he now has blood. And so he was, he was able to pay the price. I said, but whenever he went, your prophet Jesus went to Calvary, he was willing to pay the price. I said, so your prophet Jesus again is your redeemer. And I said, let's look at your prophet Jesus. I said, we look in the New Testament scripture. I said, no one's supposed to be worshiped except God, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Pat, Pastor. That's right. And I said, you know, in the book of Revelation, we have John falling down at the feet of an angel. And that angel says, stand up. Don't be worshiping me. I said, we have in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas, men that came out was falling down to worship them as God. Say, hey, we're men just like you. Don't worship us. I said, do you ever see in the New Testament scripture where your prophet Jesus was worshiped? Yes, sir. I said, and he never told them any different, did he? He didn't say, don't worship me. I said, you know why? Because the people recognized their God in that man. So the long story short is at the end of our 40 minutes, a Muslim lady, and here's the thing. Whenever I, start, I, I, I used all the Old Testament sacrifice system because she knew the five books of the Bible. I related that to the Lamb of God, the New Testament, that sacrifice. All right, and my topic whenever I was there was on the loved princess, and I was letting her know. I said, I said, Marquette, I said, that's, that's truly a loved princess for your God to condescend and come down in the form of what I would call, you call, your prophet Jesus in order to die for you because Muslimism, Islam, that is, uh, the, 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 they, they're God. They have this mind of just a strong fist and a strong power, not necessarily a loving God, but a, lo a God that uh, enforces his power and struts his authority. And so whenever I started talking to her about her God who became her prophet Jesus, but was a loving savior, whenever I left, I had a Muslim lady that believed her prophet Jesus was God and man and that he loved Marquette. That is monumental for a Muslim. <laughs> she asked me at the end, she says, Pastor, are you a prophet? I said, no, ma'am. I said, I don't claim to be a prophet. Well, how in the world? Because I'm telling you, folks, there was a moment in that conversation that the Holy Ghost came down and just bore witness. I'm serious. I mean, there's a moment that I'm like, whoosh, you know. And her eyes is big. And so I'm just thankful for the Lord. I encourage you, if you ever have conversations, start where people are. You don't have to start with your guns about, well, that's not right. This is wrong. Find the commonality where they are and build around that and bring them, amen, to the scripture of the word of the Lord. Let's turn to the word of the Lord this morning. There I, I go again, Brother James Malone. So many good people. There's people that went into, there's people sometimes that go in prison with us that are invited by different ones on the team. It's not so much so that they're going to minister, but that they're going to be ministered to because it's a two-way street when you go in there. You may never think that you can be ministered to in a prison, but you are. 
And so on our team, we had two, two guys that were COs or correctional officers in their past, probably between 30 to 25 years of experience between the both of them. Uh, one of them was apostolic uh, preacher, but the other one was an Assemblies of God man. And so he's in all of our sessions. Great guy. Matter of fact, I just read a post before I got in, just tore my heart up because of all the love and acceptance that he felt from us, although he wasn't like us. But he heard repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the oneness of God, heard everything, but felt so accepted by us without feeling indifferent. And that was a purpose of bringing somebody else in so they would be ministered to. We've seen this so many times. We've seen people brought in with their own hurts and pains just for the purpose. that They might help carry water and do this or that, but the, the, the incognito mission is that they're going to be ministered to. I was thinking tonight, and I'm proud of our, our, our musicians and, and singers up here tonight. I, I know from if we grab a clip of when they first started singing together to now, they have grown and such. And I thought, boy, the prison team would just love, the prisoners would just love to have them come sometime. I know. As a matter of fact, it's in the works on the man side, Carwile. It's in the works to have a men's, uh, uh, men of honor uh, in Carwile prison on the way to Terre Haute. Men. So just be thinking about that, guys. Some of you that might be interested in going into Carwell, it's, it's in the infantile stage. Uh, but nonetheless, that would be a, a door of opportunity. If you wanted to go and be a part, I think I might be able to get you in. Amen. Amen. So we're going to turn to the word of the Lord. This was a few weeks ago. I attempted to do it. I was going to preach, don't change a thing, and I haven't changed a thing. But I'm going to try to get further than maybe an eighth of the way through. Okay. Amen. Exodus 34. Exodus 34. And uh, a pastor right there in that area, Aaron Sizemore, which happens to be the nephew to David Sizemore. Anybody ever remember Danny Sizemore leading choirs? It's his son. Anyway, pastors are church right in that area. So there's a church there that these ladies will be able to be established in. And so that's tremendous as well. Exodus 34 and verse number one. <clears throat> Pardon my voice. Just deal, just if it sounds raspy, it's because it is. And uh, but that's okay. Exodus 34. We did a little bit of it all. I sang on a praise team. I played drums. I played the piano at one time and I preached. Prayed in the altars, baptized people. Yeah, so you just do it all. Exodus 34, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tab, first tables, which thou breakest, verse number 4, skipping around just a little bit. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. Verse number 27, skipping down to. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So, again, tonight we're going to attempt to talk about don't change a thing. 
Amen. Glad to be in service here tonight. Pastor Chester, he went to the airport last night so he could get up early this morning. He preached in his pulpit this morning. We had the, the Reinhardts went to the other side of the coast and preached for a church today. And so I can come back tonight and preach here this evening. Amen. We're going to pray tonight that the Lord's purpose will be done. Father, I come to you today. God, we need the power of your authority, Lord Jesus, upon our lives. God, and in this service. God, again, Lord, I'm grateful for what you have done the past few days. But, Lord, God, I'm asking, God, that you would allow there to be a spillover effect, God, of what happened there. God, to spill over, Lord, in our local congregation here. God, upon the hearts and the minds of your people. God, lead us, Lord, through and by your word. Direct, Lord Jesus, our steps. Help us, O oh God, to be easily impressed by your spirit. God, and anoint our minds, God, for understanding. And we will not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen to the church. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. If this sounds familiar, it probably should. Amen. Again. This record that I read in your hearing tonight in the book of Exodus is the second occurrence of the giving of the ten words or the ten commandments. The first giving of those commands are several chapters earlier or when the first table of stone was given to Moses to be brought down the mount occurs around Exodus chapter number 20. Whenever the first set of the commands were brought down, uh, Israel, according to Exodus 32, they had devised a golden calf at the base of its mountain. They were a little concerned whether or not Moses was coming back. I mean, 40 days and 40 nights on the Mount of God is quite some time. And so they were a little impatient, uh, remembering that they had just come out of Egypt. Uh, they were used to Egypt. They were used to its food, uh, much like, I would say, probably the prisoners. They got used to that type of life. And so living outside of that was a little foreign to them. And so since they did not know what had become of Moses, they took matters in their own hands and took of the gold and the silver uh, that they had retrieved from Egypt to make a golden calf. However, Israel's introduction to these 10 words or 10 commandments happened really orally. They were given orally or vocally before they were ever literally written on tables of stone. Before they were ever put in stone and etched in stone, there was something that oftentimes the Jews did was passing down uh, their laws, commands, statutes, and precepts orally. And so 50 days after Israel was delivered from the land of Egypt, they go to the Mount of God, which is what they said they wanted to do. They wanted to go to the Mount of God. And about six days after camping there at the foot of the Mount of God, Moses ascends that mount and he has a meeting with God. God, not just to receive the 10 words or the 10 commands, but even Exodus gives us all the recording of the pattern to the tabernacle in the wilderness that takes place as well. But in order to witness all this, Israel is gathered together at this mount and they are called to wash themselves and cleanse themselves for this meeting with God. And the Bible describes that the mount did quake with fire and that there was smoke that was hovering up on its top. There was thunderings and lightnings and it appears as though 
at that moment that God spoke those commands to the people orally before they were ever given to them upon stone. And so here's all Israel gathered together. They're quite awestruck by the manifestation of the cloud and the thundering and the lightning. The fear or reverence of the Lord is upon their heart as the Ten Commandments are given. And please just allow me again to refresh our minds. That word, here's God speaking from a mount. The people are hearing this. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy honor thy father and thy mother thou shalt not kill thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not steal thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor thou shalt not covet and so we have all these commandments that have come along amen unto them and there are many others but those ten that are spoken by the voice of God all these commandments in the Hebrew is known as mitzvah or one is known as a mitzvah but in Aramaic it relates to a word called sav tav which means joined or connected because whenever we consider commandments right uh, being told what to do or what not to do what many people would consider the commandments are whenever we hear those we think about commandment something being lorded over us someone pointing to us and saying this is what you need to do or what you don't need to do but taking it all the way back to the Aramaic God is not just considering it as though something he lords over us necessarily when God thinks of a commandment he thinks of a connection he thinks of a relationship these commandments in the eyes and the mind of God were means and ways so that he could be connected to to his people connected to his peculiar and special treasure and so when you consider commandments as that as though it's not something God's lording over me but it's a means by which I have a connection with God then I don't want to break any of those because to break that is to break a connection point I have with God and that God has with me it's keeping me these things are keeping me joined to God these, key, these things are keeping me in relationship to God. And so the Bible states in Exodus 20 and verse 18, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. It's like when we heard those 10 words, those commandments come from the Lord, man, that really struck some fear with all the, uh, you know, we, we had the lights and smoke and everything, you know, God had the strobe going and everything whenever he spoke. We, that's kind of fearful. Verse 20 says, and Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. In other words, Moses is conveying to them and letting them know that everything that they had just heard, those Ten Commandments, he says those were for the purpose of proving you and proving God's demonstration here on the mount, using all of that as a persuasive tool for your allegiance and consecration and dedication to your God, to keep you connected to your God. God's not wanting to scare you necessarily, but he doesn't want you to disregard what's been presented to you as well. 
because these are means of ways of staying in relationship and being connected to him. God doesn't want you to sin. More importantly, God doesn't want you uh, to face sin and deal with the consequences of your sin. These are protective measures that God has set in place. And yet the people explicitly ask Moses, it's all right. You, you mediate for us. You talk to God and then you come talk to us. We'll talk to you. You go talk to God. Because I don't know if we can handle God talking to us. Right? I don't know if we can handle the voice of the Lord. And I said several weeks ago, but I wish to reiterate what is so ironic about this. Is that they had just been released from Egypt. They had just been released where they had families and generations that suffered and endured the hand of taskmasters, the rigors of hard work, if you will, the loud voices of people shouting at them and instructing them and telling them what to do concerning their difficult labor. But they're saying they can't tolerate the voice of the Lord. They're tolerating everything that Egypt tells them to do and the work that it has them to do, but they can't handle the voice of the Lord. They've been building for years their families, the, the kingdom of Pharaoh, the cities of Ramses, so to speak. Amen. And now they're a little bit uh, shying away from building the kingdom of God in their own life and what God would want. For that matter, we see even in the beginning chapters of the book of Exodus, we see how the midwives, if there's a Melbourne, you're going to throw him into the river, right? That's what was to take place. Or it was also spoken to them uh, that they were to, uh, not just the midwives, when they would come, were even to slaughter them if a male child was born. And he says, yet yeah, you're going to turn your ear away from the law of God that is really going to be for the saving of a generation, for the saving of your people, for the preserving of your people. And so God, what God had to say wasn't going to kill them. They're fearful. It wasn't going to kill them. What God had to say would be the very basis of their governing system. Their Ten Commandments, their laws would all be based upon those Ten Commandments. It would protect their relationship with their God. For that matter, the nuts and bolts of our Constitution. The nuts and boats of many of the laws of lands and countries across our world lean heavily upon the very, very origin of the Ten Commandments. It's just a way of, of law and structure and organization. Amen for mankind. But the second, the second set of commands, interestingly, that would be given unto Moses would eventually even be the very ones that was laid in the Ark of the Covenant. That would be the ones that would be out in front of Israel. Again, aiding them, helping direct their paths through harsh wilderness, amen, experiences. But the Bible says this in Exodus 31 and verse 18. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of stone, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. So as Moses is receiving the commandments on top of the mount, that's going to help protect Israel and the relationship with God. At the base of the mount, Israel is already walking away from a relationship that Moses is being given commands for to try to protect. If there was ever anything more telling that they needed some commands... What was happening in the moment as he was receiving them was proof enough they needed something to keep their connection. 
to keep them joined to the Lord because they're walking away from some of the very things that's written on the tables of stone right in that moment. Notice the words of the Lord to Moses. I got a little scripture sprinkled in here. Uh, a side note, folks, the word works. Can I pause for a moment and say the word works? We don't have no gimmicks in two days in prison. You know what we have? The word. And it works. Exodus 32 and verse 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Oh, I can't imagine Moses. I can't imagine how he felt. They have turned aside. Look, quickly. Out of thy way, which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. They have made a molten or a golden calf. They brought, the Bible says in, in Exodus 32, they brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to this golden calf. They gave credit to the calf as being their gods. That brought them out of the land of Egypt. All the earth, according to scripture, though, is the Lord's. But Israel was to, to be his peculiar. That's what the Bible states it. His peculiar treasure because he placed his name upon them. And they attested to the fact that they would be obedient to him. And they would be obedient to his precepts. And they would enter a covenant with him. Well, the Bible says at the base of that mount, the people sat down to eat and and drink and they rose up to play and to dance all sort of things are happening at the base of this mount around the golden calf and so as Moses approaches the base of the mountain there were at least if you look at what's going on there were at least already five commandments of the ten that had already been broken before he stepped down to where they were the Bible says in Exodus 32 and verse 15 and Moses turned and went down from the mount. And the two tables of testimony, there they are, in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. One on one side and on the other side were they written. And the tables were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God. Graven upon the tables. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh to the camp, and he saw the calf and the dancing. Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. Now think here with me for a moment. Here is, I'll call him Pastor Moses. Pastor Moses been on the mountain having a conversation with God, mingling with God for several days in the presence of God. He's coming down with laws, with precepts, with ordinances for the purpose of protecting a relationship that was started when Israel was delivered. Right? To protect all of that. And when he gets down to the base of it, they've already broke at least five, if not more, of what he holds in his hand. He's not even had a chance to present in written form. Right? Just stay with me for a moment. If you were to see that in the modern day, and come with something that you talked about but finally got in written form you was going to present, and got to a place to see that it was already not working. Many people would say, what we got written here is not going to work. 
So if there's ever a good time to make any changes, we should go on and change it because it's already a failure before it got started. We might need to alter something here. Maybe, maybe the material, maybe the content. We, we, we must do something because this is already a mess before it's even been able to be presented in written form. Amen. And so the content after the breaking of the first commandments and the material after the breaking of the first commandments according to the word of the Lord when God come to Moses about the second time they're made, the second time they're created, he said make them like the first in other words Moses you don't have to alter the material Moses you don't have to alter one jot or one tittle concerning the message that's upon it I know it looked like a disaster when you got to the bottom of the mount but there's no need to mess with anything that was given you formally I mean, they had already violated before they were presented to them. If all these people, or if at least most of them, had already broken them, wouldn't it seem reasonable just to make it to fit the people? Because that's the hour I'm living in. We are living in an hour. Help me, Holy Ghost. Because we're living a day today that now if, if things of God's word or things that are written in God's word doesn't necessarily something that the people want to accept, then we need to change something to make the people feel good about where they're living, how they're living, what they're choosing. We need to alter something, you know, because it's not working. God said, don't you change the material. Don't you change what's on it. You make it Exactly like the first. I don't care how many times it's broken, how many times it's disregarded. You make it just like the first. Just. Pastor McGee, shouldn't we be more relevant to our people and to our times? I understand of changing, if you will, uh, the mechanics of everything, but we can never, never, never change that which was first written, that which was orally given and has been written right here is that which we must abide by. And yes, there'll be people disregarded and other people reject it, but that does not mean we change it. That does not mean we alter it. That the word still works. Amen. You know, if you got a committee on the matter, some people probably thought, well, you know, they were kind of too stringent to begin with. And if you really want this nation of people to be successful, coming out of Egypt, look what they've went through. If you really want them to be successful, perhaps you need to lower the bar. Maybe if you just kept it to one command. Let me ask you a question. How many commands were there in the very beginning, the Garden of Eden? And we messed up even with one. It's not about how many of them they are or what the prescription of them. When God called Moses up the second time, he wanted the two tables to be tables of stone like the first time. He wanted the same words written upon those stones like they were the first time. God wanted them made just like 
the first. They had to be made from stone. Now think with me here for a moment. We are, I know when it comes to the tabernacle, we're given so many cubits high, wide, and long, but we really don't know how big these stones were. We don't know their thickness. We don't know their height and breadth, but I do know according to the word of the Lord, they were made of stone. But nonetheless, stone, even hewn stone, is going to have a bit of rigidness to it. Stone within itself, you know, he didn't say put it on a piece of plank he said put it on the stone that's a little bit more of a weighty matter God says I don't want you to make it from a material that's lighter I don't want you to be a material that's necessarily any smoother it don't have to be comfortable for handling Moses You don't have to be comfortable for handling. Amen. I need those 10 words, those 10 commandments to impose their weight upon the carrier. I need them to impose their weight upon the carrier because these commands are the connections and the joinings of my people to me. They are not a light matter. They're about our relationship. They are a weighty thing. You can even look today, trips up Mount Sinai or to the estimation. It takes about four hours for one to traverse up Mount Sinai. Moses, no doubt, his trip down being equally just as long, four hours coming down the mount, doing so with caution as he's carrying. However big. I don't know, Brother Fred. You know, we have them on our little signs that's picketed in our front lawns. I'm talking about commands of stone coming over craggy hills and... Watching your footsteps, managing the weight. You know? You know how it is when you're carrying something, your hands are full? Huh? You get a little imbalance and you got to tip back in the other direction. Moses. Moses is coming down that mount four hour trip. Hey man, he's doing so with cautions. He has the tables of stone in his hands. Hey man, he's handling them with care, not to slip. Hey man, you know, it's not just a card in his wallet that you now the Ten Commandments, bless God, hallelujah. I'm a Ten Commandment carrier, conceal and carry. This is something he had to heft around. And they have to round. And God told Moses, He said, I'm going to write the words on those tablets of stone that were on the first tablet. Nothing could be changed. Not a jot, not a tittle that needed change. They didn't need to be made more user friendly, they didn't need to be less in number. Their content didn't need to be diluted. Because God says, this is what I prescribe is going to ensure the connection and the joining of me and my people. God knew. God knew what happened before Moses ever got down to the base of the mountain. He saw what everyone was doing, what they had done at the base of the mountain, and yet he wasn't going to change a thing. Amen. Because these commandments were not made for them as something that is tailor-made or fit to an individual. They were made to fit the future condition of the people. Make them like the first. God and Israel, according to his word, they were in covenant with one another. Man with God and God with man. And notice the scripture. Amen. They were in covenant and according to the wording of those commandments, the Bible says in verse 27, for after the tender of these words, 
after the purpose or according to these words of the Ten Commands. He says, I've made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And so God's not interested in a revision because if the, if the covenant is per the tenor of the words, you alter the word, you change the covenant. We, we talk, you know, covenants is between us, God, con, our contracts is between men. And you have men go back to drawing boards with revisions and they change phrases and they change words. But God says, no, I have a covenant and this is the way I want it without revisions. Amen. But if you change it, you're changing the meaning, the purpose, and the intent of our covenant. Someone say amen. I guess what I'm saying is there isn't any room left for us to interpret what we think God really meant. I think what God really means is this. We take matters that we don't want to accept and interpret them down to what we think they really mean so they'll be acceptable. We have any room for that. God wants them just like the first look, Exodus 34 and verse 29. The Bible says, and it came to pass when Moses came down. Look at this now. This is, this is, this is uh, very intriguing to me. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hands when he came down from the mount that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone like he talked while he talked with him. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. So the Bible tells us when Moses comes down with those ten words of God that were unaltered, unchanged, that his face, he wist not, that his face was shining as he spoke with the children of Israel. And Israel was somewhat afraid. They were a little unsure about getting close to Moses because his face did shine. But as they came, Moses, when he spoke to them, with that shining face, he spoke to them the things that God had commanded them. <laughs> so the, the, the scenario is this Moses oftentimes would go talk with God and come back with a shining face and talk to the people about the commands of God unaltered there was a connection that then started being made in the minds of the Israelite people which was this that each command that Moses shares that is from God is accompanied by the shining face of Moses every command that he brings to us of God amen Moses' face is lit up because he's been in the presence of God around God rubbing shoulders with God and they start to make this command connection this command connection that results in the shining face of the lawgiver Moses. Someone say amen. Because you, you, what you have pictured then in the scripture is ten, this Moses with the Ten Commandments and a shining face because he's been in the presence of the Lord. He's heard the booming voice. He wasn't hesitant about it. And he's brought, even throughout, you can look through art forms. My wife will testify to this when she was in college and went over uh, to Rome and Assisi and those places. Uh, many paintings and depictions of Moses have this aura around his head. Many times he is depicted even with 
horns upon his head, which seems a little weird. But what they are trying to convey is the glory and the shining of Moses' face. But they didn't have the right translation or words in order to portray it. So they would do it as horns. In Michelangelo's Moses that he sculpted, you'll even see horns upon Moses' head. And in that sculptor, he has ten commandments in one hand. And horns, if you will, on top of his head. They knew, they knew there was something up there about his head that was going on. They translated it as horns, amen, which would be the place where an animal has power. But what it really was trying to convey was the shining glory of God up on Moses' face, but in connection with the commands that he had in his hand. There was a connection. That when the light's on Moses' face, he has the commands in his hand. When the light is upon his head, he's been in relationship connection with God. I want to read, I don't have too much longer, amen, to hold you. Amen, I'm not sad about that. But in Galatians chapter 3, let me read just a few verses of scripture. Galatians 3 and verse 24, look at this. The Bible says, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The Old Testament law, the commands, the precepts, the statutes in the Old Testament, they are nothing more but our teachers to bring us to and point us to Jesus Christ. Now watch it for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. We know this verse of scripture, John 1 and verse number 14. For the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his the glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. What are you saying? I'm saying tonight as it was in the Old Testament with Moses, so it is in the New Testament as well. We need not change a thing because the law, those commands are our schoolmaster that brings us to, connects us to, joins us to Christ. And the glory of God, Corinthians said, is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is seen even in John. The glory, the word was made flesh and we beheld his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, all of them said that the Lord's face did shine. Now listen, Moses had that light on his face because he had been in the presence of the Lord getting the commands of the Lord. Jesus has light on his face in the New Testament because he is God. What the Old Testament Israel saw on Moses' face as he's holding the commands in his hand is what the church needs to be looking for as the law in the hands of our schoolmaster points us to the glory in the face and the shining of Jesus Christ. Moses' face shined. Listen to me. This is the second time that he comes down. It shined because not one iota of the commands had changed. They were just like the first in order to facilitate a relationship with God. 
Jesus' face in John shines because that same word was made flesh and we beheld his glory. And there's a relationship with Jesus Christ. What are you saying? I'm saying this. If you change the command or you do away with the commandments, you have no light upon Moses' face and you have no one. Oh God. If you reject the word, you reject the glory that's in the face of Jesus Christ. That glory's there because he is the word. That glory of God shines through Christ. Amen. Because that law brought us to Christ. Don't change a thing or you'll change your covenant. You'll change your connection. You'll change your commitment. You'll change your devotion. If you change that, you'll change it all. The glory's there when the commands are held in the hands. Amen. Don't change the thing. Stand with me, please. Man, I can make this long or short. The other day I went to prison, and it was like a miracle. I was going to have an hour to preach. I said, I can do it. Time went on. There was later and later, 45 minutes. Later and later, 30 minutes. I said, I can do it. We did it. So we make this thing long or short. We need to be like a generation of people that's before us that say, God, make your face shine upon me. That's even New Testament scripture. Make your face shine upon me. Make your face shine upon your servant. But if you want that and you equally want to mess with the commands, you'll miss the connection of the light that's in the face because the light that was found in Moses' face is when the commands were in his hands or in his mouth and when we start altering commands and law and precepts then what we're really doing is forfeiting and foregoing relationship connection and being joined to him it comes down to this folks we know this that we can't do it by ourselves I can't do it in myself all of these laws and commands are pointing me toward the light. They made the connection. He's got the law when he has the law. When he comes down with the commands, his face is shining. They made the connection. When that happens, this happens. When the law pushes us to Christ, we, we see the glory of the Lord. That word was made flesh. We see the glory of the Lord. Whenever the law's there, whenever the word's there, and it's not altered. It's not watered down. It's not diluted. It's, it's not trying to be made conformable to the image of man. But it's as it was in the beginning. At the first. So if you want the radiant glow of the face. You got to have the unaltered letter of the command. It points me to a shining glory in my generation called Christ Jesus. So don't change a thing. One of these days, I'm going to be dead. One of these days, the bishop's going to be dead. And we need a generation of those that are coming after us that's not going to look back upon bishop and look back upon pastor. And you'll say, those old kooks, they just didn't know what they was talking about. We could really do more in our generation if we just, you know, alter maybe three through four. Do away with number six. The moment you do, there's not light on the face. Whew. 
Don't live under the impression. Because the world will try to superimpose this on you. Oh, you can't do this and you got to do that. You've missed it. You've missed it. It's about connection. It's about relationship. It's about getting the light on the face. Don't change a thing. We need to feel the weightiness. We need to feel the weightiness of that. So the brilliance of the light will be upon our face. The Bible says that if the gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Where the God of this world has blinded them. Blinded them to this glorious light. He don't want them to see the light that has a connection to a law and a command that is a preserving, protective plan. He wants that to be seen as the enemy rather, rather than the confidant. Wants it to be seen as the enemy rather than you will as the helper and the friend that's leading us along on this wonderful journey called Christendom. If we bow our heads all across this place tonight, don't change a thing. Don't, don't change, don't alter it. Sunday school teachers, youth pastors, don't, don't, don't alter it. God's word in its pure form it's good it's for the saving of the soul he, be, he begotten people by the word it is good unaltered <sighs> unaltered God's words written God's way <sighs> will cause a light to shine <sighs> to people who are setting in darkness <laughs> we need a light that can shine in darkness but there will be no light if we do not stay connected to his word to his command hallelujah these altars are open tonight if someone would just like to say god i'm not looking back i'm looking forward god if it was good enough for my mom and dad if it was good for abraham and isaac and jacob if it, if it was good enough for the apostle paul and peter if it was good enough for bartholomew and if it was good enough for Moses, if it, if it was good enough god we're, we're not we're not altering anything we're not altering anything right here. We're not trying to change material. We're not trying to change substance. If that produced the light then, then who am I to say that it can be produced any other way now? I don't want to tamper with that if perchance I tamper with the covenant that we're a part of. Because it's according to the tenor of these words. It's according to the purpose of these words. It's in accordance to these words that the covenant is effective and the covenant is there. You touch the command, then you have altered the covenant. Oh, God. Holy Ghost. Oh, let's raise our hands all across here, those that would be willing to do so. Let's talk to God. God, I don't want a thing to change. God, I'm not asking for you to lower the bar or make this more acceptable in my own mind or, Lord, to the culture and the society that I live in. No, 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 no. God, I pray, oh, Lord, today, <laughs> take me to that rock that's higher than I. Take me to that rock that is higher than I. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, uh, praise team. Let's talk to the Lord right now. Through song, these altars are open. Don't alter a thing. 
Don't, don't let your adversary begin to speak in your ear and say, you know, if the first if they would just do this, just, just a small little change, we would be a whole lot better off as a church. Well, it may look like that on the surface, but in the eyes of eternity, it would not profit us one thing. We must keep the light shining by keeping the commandment pure. The word pure.
Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you'll stand, we'll come to a close here tonight. Remember reading the story here not long ago. Now, in some of my reading, story about um, man's an author. Actually, his name's Ray Bradbury. Some people might recognize that name. Uh, he's a science fiction writer. And whenever he first met the woman that he would marry, he gave her one of his books. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.